The Church Media Podcast, episode 132, Discerning Your Creative Calling with Luke McElroy, part one. Let's do it. Hey there. Welcome to the Church Media Podcast. The definitive podcast for helping you create dynamic experiences and build solid media production teams at your church. We're bringing you knowledge and insight from top media professionals from around the world. Useful, practical content in the areas of live production, design, leadership, digital communications, and more. The show notes for this episode and all archive episodes of the show are available online now at the Church Media Podcast. Podcast.com. And now, broadcasting from the ministry headquarters of 1230 Media, here's your host, church media coach, Carl Barnhill. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Carl. Thanks for checking us out. We're one of the largest, fastest growing church media production podcasts in the nation. If you would sometime today, jump on iTunes and leave a review of our show. It helps us in the ranking on iTunes so that more churches can get our content. It's all free. We don't charge anything for our podcast, and we are sponsored by some great faith-based companies. And if you are one of those ministries that would like to sponsor an episode of our show, please visit our website at 1230.media and click on Advertise With Us on the bottom navigation of our site to get all the details. This week on the show, my buddy Luke McElroy from Orange Thread Media and Salt Conferences stops by. We've had Luke on the show a couple of times to share his words of wisdom with us. We serve with each other a few times a year, whether at the National Religious Broadcaster Convention or hanging out at Salt Conference or just calling each other up every now and then to shoot ideas around. This is a guy to follow. He has a new book coming out called Creative Potential. Principles for Unleashing Your God-Given Calling, and we'll talk about it today. An interview with Luke is on the way right after this. It's an amazing song. How'd you do this? You know, I've never told anybody my story. From Irwin Brothers Entertainment comes I Can Only Imagine. When I was uh, 11 years old, life was tough, and I've always loved music, and I found some songs that I just... I held on to. They gave me hope. On March 16th. Yeah, I can do this. No, you can't. And you're going to blink your eyes and you're going to realize that life has gotten you nowhere because you chased some stupid dreams. Discover the untold story. I want you to know that I pray for you all the time. What are you running from? My dad. Been right about behind the beloved song that inspired millions. My dad was a monster, and I saw God transform him, and so I wrote this song for my dad. I can only imagine. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters March 16th. Go to ICanOnlyImagine.com. This is an exclusive interview from the Ministry of 1230 Media. Here is Church Media Coach Carl Barnhill. I welcome by phone my only third guest in the history of the podcast, my friend Luke McElroy. Luke is an author, speaker, and entrepreneur. He runs Orange Thread Media, Salt Conferences, a genius, man of many talents. What else you want me to say, Luke? Um, Dang, you know, third incredible, time. I'm, I'm uh, so honored, Carl. <laughs> how you doing, man? Thanks for coming back. I'm doing so well. Now, dude, we uh, you know, we we kind of met at NRB. We kind of met through uh, this podcast. Actually, you kind of got to know each other more, and then you know, we just kind of call each other randomly now. 
and just say, pitching ideas. Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, am I am I crazy with this? So, <laughs> thank you for being the uh, the the uh, the call that I make to make sure I'm sane. Dude, well, thanks for being such a killer resource, not just to the church. I mean, golly, what you guys are doing through twelve thirty and church media podcasts, like, love it. But also, thanks for just being a great friend and a guy that. I can call and sort of go, hey, am I crazy to think this? Yeah. Or, hey, I got an idea or yeah. <laughs> or whatever that may be. So awesome, I appreciate man. you too, brother. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, we are recording this early. We are going to uh, NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters, next week. Uh, we got several things on our calendar. But one thing I want to uh, ask you about is something that you did a few weeks ago, uh, and that was take a little trip to a uh, little football game. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah. The ball that was super, as they yes. say, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, man, it was just a, it was a dream come true. And, uh, you know, I, for those who don't necessarily know what the Orange Thread side of our company yep. does, we do live events. And so we'll, we'll bring projectors and servers and people and all sorts of stuff. And in this environment, we got a chance to projection map the sort of VIP of VIP rooms at uh, a concert series that was literally across the street from the Super Bowl. And uh, it was just incredible. I mean, not just, honestly, not just from the sort of like celebrity A-list factor, which was pretty cool itself. We had Imagine Dragons, Pink, uh, J-Lo performed, and gosh, can that girl entertain people. I mean, it was just a really well put together show. But it was really just cool for me personally. Like, it's just a milestone to be able to part something that big um, was cool. And it sort of shows sort of just the favor of God that he's sort of poured into orange thread and the fact that we've trusted him enough to sort of keep following what he keeps leading. Uh, but I'll say this too, and this is what, what is my favorite part is that, uh, almost all the guys we got a chance to work with are believers. And to think that we got a chance from a kingdom standpoint to, you know, make an impact in that realm is just a neat factor as well. You know, a guy tweeted me while I was there, and we texted back or DM'd back and forth a little bit and was like, man, this is my dream. And I said, well, the one thing I'll tell you is that, you know, we spend all these countless hours working for some ego, right, or some personality. And it can get weighing on you. But the community and the opportunities that come out of that at catering or the opportunities that come out at 3 in the morning when you're loading out with a crew hand who, you know, has never seen a church is just really, really neat. And so the, the sort of full circle picture of that uh, event was just amazing but it was crazy hours i'll tell you that it yeah. was probably worse than even church hours to be honest with you <laughs> well i was still, i was going to ask you about that about how you as a believer your team um can go into events like this um and make a difference and and uh I, you know I, I think of guys like um and these are not necessarily believers um a couple of them are, or guys like mark burnett uh, who is a believer, uh, guys like Jerry Bruckheimer, who's a conservative uh, mm-hmm. producer in Hollywood. These guys, um, you know, I, I watch a lot of behind-the-scenes interviews and things like that, and and they're asked, especially, let's say, Mark Burnett. He's asked, um, you know, how can you be a conservative in Hollywood and, you know, that whole deal. And, how, how, and their answer, these couple of guys, are always something to the effect of, it's about the work, and it's about being totally. excellent at what we do. And people respect the work that we do, and then therefore we can have influence occasionally with our faith or, you know, do projects that are, are kingdom-oriented or whatever. Um, so I, I'm sure the same is true with you guys, that if you go in and you're asked to do 
you know, an event, you go in and you do excellent work and that creates respect. And then you might have moments here and there to share your faith or to be a, uh, you know, a light in that world. Do you, do you kind of have any thoughts on that? Oh, 100% agree with everything you just said. I mean, I think the world that we live in culture at large, Carl respects excellence, probably more than anything. I think, I think in many ways, excellence is the currency of life change because, when when you step into this sort of mainstream world, um, they don't care whether or not you're a Christian or not. They don't care whether or not you have good morals. They don't care whether or not, you know, you sort of are, are a fun hang as much. I mean, that actually is a factor. You know, your personality, your ability to connect with people, all that sort of matters because people want to do work and projects with fun people, right? But on the flip side, they really care about, is this going to work? Is it going to be awesome? And are you going to do what you said you're going to do? And I think that when you do those sorts of things, it opens up doors. We have a sort of, we may get off on the tangent here, but we have sort of a philosophy at Orange Thread. We, we call it sort of the client fam, or client's friends family sort of metric. And we look at every person we work with at any given moment, and we say, which bubble do we put them in? Are they a client to us? Are they friends to us? Are they family to us? And we use that to sort of help us know whether or not we're trying to, or we've invested enough in the relationship. So you always start as a client, right? And I always, whenever I teach our interns or anybody that comes on board with us, this, I always say, where do clients hang out, right? They hang out at offices. They hang out in boardrooms or corporate environments. They dress up. They try and impress people. They sort of always have their, like, pitch and presentation. And their conversation centers around work. And then you go into friends. Where do friends hang out? Well, they'll go grab coffee with one another, right? Or they'll go, you know, to a restaurant or hang out in some sort of a little bit more casual environment. And they'll start to talk about hobbies or mutual interests or stuff like that. And you aren't as, quote, keen on, uh, I don't have to be dressed as much to impress. And when you do that, when you have the opportunity to call someone a friend, you can be a little bit more relatable. You can be a little bit more honest. And what we find in business is there's those three factors, right? I need it fast. I need it cost-effective, and I need it awesome. And I find that when you get to the friend side, you'd call your friend to work on something, and you'd go, hey, I know, that I trust that they're not going to overcharge me, right? Or I trust they're going to get this done quick. And so two of them are the ones you care about because you, there's a trust factor that sort of makes it, you know, easy to get work done. And then the third category, which is ultimately where we want to put every person we work with, is the family category, you know? Family means you're going to sit down and break bread together. Maybe at someone's house, you're going to talk a lot, a little bit more intentional topics. You're going to figure out their family issues or their not issues necessarily, but you know, family matters, the things that are important to them, their spouse, their kids, all those sorts of things. And then we sort of take that to another step and, and say, hey, when when someone is in family place, you, you're you're the first call, right? Like if you were needing a T-shirt to be printed, and your brother is, owns a T-shirt printing company. There's no question. You're going to call them first, right? So anyway, all that to say, we sort of do this internal gut check of any relationship we have business-wise. We sort of ask ourselves, like, hey, where are they? And what's sort of a couple of small little practical steps we can do to move them to the next sphere, if you will, right? How do we go from clients to friends? How do we go from friends to family? So and maybe I've, just a fun little <laughs> extra thing for yeah. the church media podcast peeps. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you guys have, uh, you know, influence in those uh, type of, in, in a lot of different environments and church staff members have influence with their teams and their, their church world. 
Um, but you know, it's interesting that, and 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 I would say that um, uh, you know anybody in church world, uh, you know, there are believers in churches that are lawyers and what you know all kinds of professions, and we have to um, wherever God has us, we have to discern. There there comes a point where. Uh, and, and most of the time, it's when we're a little bit younger, maybe college or high school. Uh, for you, it was uh, it was high school. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, for me, it was kind of the same, kind of high school, college age. There comes a time where you know you're discerning that calling. Am I am I called to ministry? Am I called to corporate world? Am I called to minister to this group of people or that group of people? So, uh, so with that in mind, today I kind of want to get at. Um, your story a little bit. I kind of want to talk about your calling, how you discern that, how you walked through that, kind of the process of of prayer and uh, waiting and meditating and learning and listening to God and 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 all that. Um, and and kind of talk about the topic today of of how do we discern the calling. How do we, um, especially for for creatives? This is a church media podcast. We're talking mostly to to creative people, so we'll address some of that um, as creatives. But uh, but get, kind of get us started. How did you? And and all this kind of relates to this new book that you wrote, uh, Creative Potential. So so walk us through the book and and kind of get us started on your story. Yeah. So you know, growing up I, the, I, in the book, I break I break it down into sort of two acts. And you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, but. Um, the first act, I really share my personal journey. And I share it not to just say, hey, this is a great story, you need to know it. it. I share it because I think that it's everyone's story of finding their calling, of trying to wrestle with, you know, do I have a purpose in life? Does God have something planned for me? And in the process of me telling my story, I, I try my best to sort of pause in moments and sort of reflect on what God was teaching me in that season or whatever. Because I know that at some point, as people read that first act, they're going to find themselves in the story. And, um, but yeah, my story started uh, when I was young. Um, I had the blessing, Carl, of being in a family that um, took me to a great church. I'm sort of one of those classic Sunday school kids that, you know, got saved at a pretty young age. And so I didn't really ever grow up in a house where I didn't know who God was in a specific Specifically, I didn't really grow up in a house that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, nor did my family not. And so I, I joke about this in the book, but when you when you are born into a family like that and you sort of have been around God for so long, it's very quickly sort of told to you that, hey, you're going to have a calling in life. <laughs> like, hey, I'm now a Christian, and hey, you're going to get a calling in life. Those two things sort of go hand in hand. And so when I gave my life to Christ— um, I just knew, like, hey, I'm going to get a calling. And i, I got to be honest with you, I thought that that was sort of a literal call. <laughs> Maybe it was my childlike faith, I don't know. But I kept thinking, like, okay, like, hey, Dad, hey, give me God's number. I'll call him. We'll just speed this whole process up, and we'll be good, right? And obviously that's not how it works. But, um, yeah, fast forward, I was in high school working for a church, and um, we went on a youth trip. And I just felt like God threw into my mind this picture. I mean, it was a really quick snapshot, almost like a Polaroid, but like in a reverse manner. Like I got the picture real quick and then it slowly faded away. And I just sort of remember thinking in that moment that this is what I was supposed to do with my life. I'll tell you that there were, it was a sea of people in a room. There was a bunch of 
lights up front. Um, it was almost like a stage environment, which is funny because, you know, we just talked about Super Bowl. And I think one of the things I've sort of found some clarity is that my creative angle and my artistic ability, if you, uh, if you will, is really in the like creating of live environments. Um, and so anyway, that was sort of my story. I don't know how far you want me to go on that. Um, because I sort of being a McElroy and being pretty driven that whole, I wanted to find God's number and call him. Uh, I just decided, uh, well, I wasn't hearing all the de- getting all the details that I wanted. So the concept I use is that I started Photoshopping this picture. It didn't have all the answers, so I just started adding things into the picture so that I would have answers to give myself, right? I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody listening, but um, I think we all do that, right? We think we've, we've been given sort of some vision from God. We've been given a calling, whether that's, you know, some something about stepping into ministry or maybe that's a vocational craft or a technical ability that we may have, and we, we sometimes don't have all the answers, so we start making up our own. And i got to be honest with you, Carl, this is sort of— you know, a dangerous place for me to be. And I think it's a dangerous place for everyone to be when we start adding things into the picture we think God gave for us, for our lives. And that led me down a path. And I, I sort of started pursuing this Photoshop picture, which I thought was a youth camp. I mean, a full-on, you know, blob, zip line, singing Kumbaya by Campfire, all that stuff, right? <laughs> and uh, because I was involved in the youth ministry world. And I just sort of thought, well, that's what it has to be. And God gave me this picture while I was on the bus in theory on the way to a youth camp. And so anyway, that's sort of how it all came to be. And, um, an amazing thing happened that God sort of woke me up and made me realize that it was never a youth camp. I'm not involved in youth ministry now. I'm not, you know, a youth pastor or anything like that. And so anyway, it's just kind of a cool story of how God sort of opened up, you know, my mind to what he had for me. And I think that all of us deal with that in some way, shape or form in life. So do you think that, uh, and looking back, if God gave you that picture of this is a youth camp, why do you think it, if, if it didn't work out like that, why do you think he laid that on your mind like that? Do you think it was him? Do you think it was, what do you think it was? Well, that's a great question because I think, um, I don't think that God wanted I don't know. I mean, I I don't know if I can answer that point blank, but I think there's a high likeliness that God wasn't wanting me to think it was a youth camp so that I would be misled for that wrong. Um, I think that many ways, like we see all throughout Scripture, I think that God gives us a little glimpse of himself. You know, I remember right now I'm thinking about that whole moment when Moses was like, God, I want to see you. And God basically says to Moses, well, if I were to show you my face, for example, I'm you die because you wouldn't be able to contain the sort of power and awe and wonder that would come with that. So he shows him what his back while covering his face mostly. And I think that God is a God of mystery and, and wonder. And I think that there's something beautiful about the fact that he doesn't just give us the whole picture. And I, I know for me personally, Carl, if I was given the clarity when I was in high school, when I got that picture dropped, dropped into my mind and God said, you're going to start this thing called Salt Conference, and you're going to bring together a community, and it's going to look like this. And these are going to be the people that are a part of this experience and this process. i got to be honest with you. I, I think I would have done it without God because I wouldn't have needed God. And I think there's something about a waiting process that happens when, we, when we're trying to identify and sort of clarify the calling that we have on our lives, that we need God in that process. Because one of the things that taught me in the book, and I, I share this in the book, one of the things that taught me in life is that whole youth process, youth camp process, is that 
God delights far more in the process of you finding your calling than you finding your calling, right? Like he doesn't need us to do the work. He loves the being that we become in the process of figuring out what the work is. And he doesn't want to fast track that. He doesn't want to microwave that, right? We're not ramen noodles. I mean, I think it's like a slow cooker, amazing pasta, basically. That's my that's my tweet for this episode, by the way, is we're not running it. <laughs> so I'm writing that down. That is that is the tweeted quote from you. And just that, we're not ramen noodles. Oh Are you good with gosh, that? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's so good, man. That that um hey, he doesn't need us to do the work. I mean, and and he does delight in that. And that's kind of what I'm what I'm getting at is I, I do think that he probably put that picture in your mind to say, hey, this is what I could do with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, this is and, where we're going. Hey, yeah. would you join the journey? Yeah. Not, hey, this is where we're going. Or, Go make this. Right. But are you will? Are you willing? Would you be willing to do something like this? <laughs> uh, exactly. You know, and the and the working out of that is is what came next for you. So, um, so kind of walk me through. It, it kind of shifted from this youth camp idea into creative ministry and event production and and then salt. Kind of walk me through a, a little bit of of how that process took place. Yeah, I mean, so basically to give a little bit of nuts and bolts, I, I had been given this vision uh, while I was driving down from Atlanta to Panama City Beach, Florida for a, a youth camp. And I was an intern at the time, and I was leading a bunch of eighth graders. And um, I just remember feeling stuck on this bus, like, oh, my gosh, God gave me something, and and I'm supposed to run with it. So, obviously, there was this amazing sort of initial, which probably should have been a warning sign now that I'm realizing this, Carl. (laughs) Uh, There was a forced waiting period to happen right at the beginning. Basically, fast forward, I got back. I started really running through all the details of putting together a youth camp. I mean, I got so intentional of, you know, I knew what cost of land was in North Georgia mountains. I knew, I talked to the lawyer about um, how to file or set up a 501c3. And I remember him telling me on the phone, I don't think I put this part in the book, but I remember him telling me on the phone specifically, uh, don't start a 501c3. Again, another warning sign if I had realized it. And he told me don't start a 501c3 because he was talking about how nonprofits are really difficult places to sort of throw your life work into unless it's a team of people and a whole sort of like vision that's going to outlive you. And though I hope what my calling is far outlives me, I think what he was trying to give me was some great insight. And he was a believer. He was a Christian. Uh, It wasn't like he was giving me worldly advice for a kingdom vision, but um, you know, he just basically was like, Hey, I've seen too many people who have built camps or built foundations or whatever, and they can't prepare for retirement the same way that an entrepreneur who throws their life into their business and, you know, all this. So anyway, it, it should have been a warning sign. Of course, I didn't see it that way. Um, and I, I remember there was a turning point in the story because my youth pastor at the time had given me a book, and that book really exposed me to the life and story of Nehemiah in the Bible. And, you know, we know Nehemiah's story. We know that Nehemiah was called to rebuild the walls of Israel, which Fun fact, last year I got a chance to go to Israel and see those same walls. Talk about eye-opening. Talk about (laughs) full circle, right? That those walls still exist. Um, And and in Nehemiah's life, he had to wait. God asked him to give this vision, but he didn't have any influence with the king. He had some influence, right, because he was a governor and he was sort of an ordinary man who was working his way up. But at some point, God 
gave him the opportunity to build a relationship with the king and, and basically ask, hey, I've been, you know, I feel like God's called me to rebuild the walls. Would you give me the tools? Would you give me the people? Would you give me the support? And of course, the king blesses that. But that was after a long process of waiting. And in the book that my youth pastor gave me, I sort of started understanding this concept of maybe there's purpose in waiting. And in that waiting, uh, I started realizing, okay, well, maybe this camp isn't right now. And so I sort of put a pause button on the camp idea. Came to school, Belmont University in Nashville, moved up here, and I basically just sort of kept praying, like, okay, God, I'm going to just trust you're going to open up some doors, but in the meantime, I'm just going to be faithful with what you give me. And uh, through a crazy circumstances of events, basically I found myself um, starting a company called Orange Thread uh, that did live event production, uh, and we did creative you know, stuff for the church. And we had sort of this amazing business. And yet I thought it was a holding pattern. I thought all of it was God just saying, Hey, I'm going to have you do something while I prepare you in the furnace and let the clay dry a little bit. All the while, what I was missing was that God was basically slowly giving me details of the, this picture of the youth camp was not it. And, uh, yeah. So that's kind of how, how that process unfolded. Uh, and it really came to a head, uh, in Atlanta. And I don't know if you remember this part of the book because you've been able to be in this a little bit, but there was a turning point. I went to Atlanta. Um, let me back up. So I had a couple of employees. We had an office. Uh, at this point, I had graduated school and things were looking up. I mean, it's the first thing in my life, Carl, that God had sort of naturally breathed on. And it just worked. And I knew that, that he, I knew that God had provided this company. I knew that God had sort of given this um, platform, if you will, for us to sort of serve people, to make a living, to help others who worked for me and, and provide an opportunity for them to do some, some cool stuff. And we were a part of some fun projects. And in December 2011, um, I basically found out that my full-time creative designer, video guy, uh, was being recruited by a major church, uh, a church that if I said the name, everybody on this podcast would know it. And he was being recruited to be there creative guy, basically, for one of their ministries. And I, I remember sitting there going, well, gosh, if you're going to lose somebody, like, at least I'm losing them this way. And in the same breath, um, our sort of intern was, our part-time guy intern thing was sort of phasing out and sort of woke up and realized, wow, I don't really have staff right now. And then I go home for New Year's, and the landlord calls me right before New Year's Eve to tell me that, hey, so I got into some financial trouble um, I'm selling the building to a friend, but don't worry, your lease is fine. He'll be in touch in the next couple of days. Sure enough, it wasn't a couple of days. It was like a matter of hours. And he called and basically said, hey, I want to buy you out of your lease. I want to renovate the place. My family wants to move in. And so here I am in January 2012, and I have finally no staff, and I have no building lease. And I realized, Carl, very boldly and, and very clearly that God may be clearing my plate so I can go start this camp. And that's not at all what happened. Um, basically went through some prayer and processing, met with mentors, read a lot of scripture. I was studying the life of Moses, I remember, at this time. And I remember God basically asked me three questions. And those three questions were, you know, do you have influence in the youth ministry world? And I said, no. And then I realized, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't for God because he knows whether or not I'd have that. This is for me. I'm going to need to listen into these questions. <laughs> he then said, "Is you know, are you going to get a lot of influence? in the youth ministry world that you don't have now in the near future. And I thought, no, I 
I, you know, I'm not a youth pastor. I don't work for a camp. I don't, I've never worked for an organization that deals with youth ministry. And I just felt like he just said, which released this crazy burden on my life. I felt like he said, then why would I have told you it was a youth camp? Would you trust me in the process that that wasn't what that picture was? Mm. And so that opened up a whole new journey, right? And anyway, as the, as the story unfolds, it ended up becoming uh, this conference for creatives in the church who don't fully understand their influence in the world because culture, we live in such a creative culture and, but it's not about the conference. It's really about the idea of sort of going back to God and saying, God, I'm going to trust you in this process again. And I'm going to draw closer to you so that I can truly hear your heart and not try and make it my heart or try and insert my ideas into your picture. You know, um, Phil Vischer, VeggieTales, uh, what's in the Bible you know, he has a similar story in this, and in right before the whole thing came crashing down on on his company, Big Idea, and he said the same thing in that, uh, or very similar, and, and I asked him point blank, why, why do you think that God allowed your company to crumble? Um, and, he, and he said very succinctly that he allowed... Um, his the the ministry for God to become more important than his relationship with God, um, and that um, in not that it, not that this particular instance was not what God had called him to do, um, but it was just it was interesting to hear that the relationship with God and 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 um, you know you really uh, having an intimate relationship with God and discerning what he wants for you, um, is a thread for multiple creators, multiple entrepreneurs. It's almost, um, it's, it's kind of like he does take us through, um, these times in order to open up doors for what he has next or whatever. Not sure where I'm going with that, but, um, I, I guess my next question would be in the waiting times, and in the wondering times, what did what did God teach you? So you came out, you had no staff, you didn't know where to go, you you realize it's not a youth camp, uh, you're in this period of, of waiting. Uh, what did God teach you through that? Man, so much, like almost so much, I could write an entire book on that question, um, <laughs> which is basically what I feel like I did in some capacity. But I, I just say this about the waiting, and I know that people listening are, are probably in a similar place. You know, they're trying to figure out what is their calling in life, what is it that God's really purposing for. I, I just encourage people to say what I learned in the process is that all good things in life require waiting. You know, waiting for your spouse, waiting for that child to be born, waiting for that job to open up, waiting for you to save for your down payment of your first house, uh, and maybe waiting for that person to get back to you about the job you're interviewing for. I mean, I even think about, you know, you go to movies and you have to wait for the previews to finish. So the movie starts or you go to a concert and you wait for the curtain to open. I mean, all things in life that I think uh, are good require waiting. And it's through the Bible too. You know, I mean, gosh, uh, just the ones off the top of my head, like Noah. Uh, I mean, he had to wait for the water system to do, right? You know, the dove went out and the dove had to return with the twig. There was a waiting process there after God had sort of ruined the world, if you will, or, you know, mm-hmm. drown the world, and he had to sort of wait for life to start again. He had to wait for their second sort of season to begin. Joseph had to wait 13 years. You know, he had a dream in the field. That he was, his sheaves were going to rise higher than his brothers, and the moon and the stars would bow down, right? I mean, crazy dream. First of all, don't tell your brother that when you have that dream. 
but he had to wait 13 years to finally find himself in Pharaoh's presence, uh, giving clarity to Pharaoh's dream. And that process defines so much of his character. I mean, Moses had to wait 40 years in the desert. Moses' people, I guess. And Moses never really got to the promised land. But anyway, it's just, I could go on and on and on. I think so much of what I learned in the process is that um, God delights in the you that you are far more than the you that you're striving to become. And I think I had to figure that out. I think I had to get to this place where, it wasn't about what I do in life. It was who I was in relationship with God. I mean, it's yeah. a little what you said earlier about the Phil Vischer story, and, and this is one of the things I put in the book, is that I think in many ways one of the things I realized was that I had to come to a place where I fell more in love with the one who called me into something than I did fall in love with the calling itself. Right. And, and that's huge. And when you're at that place, then honestly the calling doesn't matter as much. Because you're in relationship with the creator of all creativity. Right. And you're in relationship with the, you know, God of the universe who's saying, hey, you know, all things are possible. And, and now you're like, okay, well, I don't really care what it is because I got him, you know, and, and I've got a relationship. And I think that's the thing that I think sometimes we miss. I think the, the culture we live in, especially the sort of Western American culture of, you know, that we've got to sort of hustle our way through this. I was on the phone with a friend the other day, and we were talking a little about, you know, this sort of vibe that exists. Some people on the podcast may not know who these guys are, but, you know, Gary Vanderchuk or Tim Ferriss or some of these sort of forward-thinking uh, entrepreneurial leadership guys, they're sort of, you know, they sort of preach this message of grit, right? Like, you've got to have it all together. You've got to work your butt off. You've got to burn both ends of the candle. You've got to go, 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 because everything's up to you. And, I just would love to know what God thinks about when he sees that stuff, because I know that in my life, it was in the periods of the waiting. It was when I was like Sarah and Abraham waiting for the child. It was when I was like, you know, Noah, or when I was like all the people in the Bible have to wait. I realized, oh, God's got this figured out far more than I could ever will my power into this. And I think that God gets far more glory in our story when we live and we act and we, we sort of pursue our calling in a way that makes sure that he gets the glory, not in a way that makes sure that we get all the credit when it all goes well. Right. Um, but the truth of the matter is my life isn't put together and perfect, right? It's, it's this messed up thing, but the God of the universe figured out how to take a dude who had photoshopped his own calling in life and did something with it. And I think it grows our faith in the waiting times um, because it's, it's like, well, I, I don't really know what God has next for me, or I don't really know for sure, but I know I know that He is. I know that He's got me, and I know that uh, I'm going to follow Him. Uh, where where the where I could easily in the waiting times I could easily be like, well, God's not telling me anything. I'm out. Peace. Um, but the the choice of staying in, being faithful to what He calls you to, um. Uh, day after day, even in the waiting times, is just to be, you know, to, to be faithful for Him. Do you think that grows our faith? I, I, I've experienced that. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, I yeah. think. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, let's look at the culture that's coming up through the church or into the workplace right now, right? I mean, the millennial culture, which I identify myself a part of. Um, I'm hoping to, you know, rechange this bad stigma that the millennial culture works uh, mm-hmm. that has right now, but. Um, I think 
you know, we see this so prevalent, but I think we live in a culture where when the going gets tough, we just throw in the towel and we're right. done. Right. You know, there is, there's very little resilience or perseverance as character traits in, in today's day. And isn't it funny that James starts his entire book off with that statement? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith is going to develop. Oh, there's that word, perseverance. Yep. And perseverance must complete its work, so you need to come complete, mature, not lacking anything. I think we want to be complete, mature. We want to not lack anything. We want to be, quote-unquote, perfect in the eyes of the world. But we won't go through the perseverance or the resilience. And I think you're right. I mean, I think faith comes when we, when God knows and when those around us know that we can be faithful through trials, you know. And uh, those who are faithless sort of go, well, I don't have this in me. I can't endure this. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the whole fall of man means that, world's, that, that this life is not going to be easy. You know, it's not... Um, you know, when when Adam and Eve sinned, I mean, this was not supposed to be an easy life. This, in many ways, our punishment is perseverance. But it's when we can persevere and say, "I know that I believe in a God that is far bigger than the economy, or far bigger than my job situation, or far bigger than whatever it is I'm doing." And I'm going to trust that He has a purpose and He has a plan far greater than what I can see with my tiny little human eyes. Yeah, you're starting to preach now. We both are. I know, uh, I know you're good. <laughs> This has been an all-access interview from 1230 Media. For more interviews, training, and exclusive content for your production team, visit 1230.media slash training. Hey, Church Media friends. It's Luke McElroy, author of the new book, Creative Potential. You know, I wrote this book to help everyone discover and unleash their God-given calling by sharing both the story and principles I've uncovered in my personal journey. This book is really for anyone who wonders if they're creative enough or just want to make the most of the gifts that God has given them. To learn more, I'd encourage you to head over to creativepotentialbook.com. That's creativepotentialbook.com. To get Luke's book, Creative Potential, you can visit his website at lukemacelroy.com. And for resources, a transcript, and helpful links to the resources that Luke's ministries provide, visit the churchmediapodcast.com today and click on episode number 132. That's the churchmediapodcast.com. On the next Church Media Podcast. Next week on the show, we'll wrap our discussion with Luke on discerning your creative calling. We'll talk a little bit more about both of our journeys, and I think you'll identify with our stories and find yourself in them somewhere. More Luke next week on the show. I want to thank our amazing producer, the legend that is David Michael Hyde. His website is davidmichaelhyde.com. And thank you for listening this week. Go out there and create some incredible worship experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Church Media Podcast. Please take a minute today to rate and review the show in iTunes. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your team, visit thechurchmediapodcast.com. We'll catch you right here next week for another episode of the Church Media Podcast. 